Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I believe there are some people online with me right now today that's ready to get this new year started with a big blast. Get things going. I don't know if you're like me, but I really love New Year's time. New Year's time is a time that I think and I feel that I maybe have some capacity to redo some of the stuff that I didn't do well last year. Um, it's usually a time where many people take a second chance, a second opportunity, grab it with both hands, try to do some new things and commit themselves to maybe start and cultivate some new life-giving habits. Hence, this brand new series that we're kicking off today called Habits. Now, a habit is defined as the following. I quickly want to read it to you guys. It says, a habit is something you do so often and so regularly, it becomes something you do without even thinking about it. It's just a part of who you are. And I'd like to invite you this here over the next three weeks as we're going to be exploring what it means to start up some good quality habits that will become so part of you because it's aligned with who God made you to be. Now, every year, maybe you're like me, and you also start off with some New Year's resolutions. Last year's lists went like this. The top four New Year's resolutions for 2020 was exercise more, save money, that's number two, eat healthy, number three, lose weight, number four. Can I just say that was my number one year's resolution, New Year's resolution for the past five years now, lose weight. Um, I don't know how many of you guys can put up your hands to that one as well. However, including these stats, there's another little stat just goes with it just beneath the lines that says 92% of people starting a New Year's resolution will have given up on their commitment before Valentine's Day. That means only 8% of people wanting to start something new, taking an opportunity to take a second go at something in their lives, only 8% of people push through and gets to the other side. This really sounds to me a lot like a guy I know in the Bible, his name's Paul, and he writes about it like this in Romans chapter 7. He says the following. I want to read it to you. Maybe you can identify with it today. It says the following. I don't really understand myself. For uh, what I want to do, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And then maybe most of us feel like this. Paul just goes, goes for it. Verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Doxodeo. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at how Paul points us to the answer for who so many of us are struggling with, committing to live the life God made us to live. We're going to look at what it means to start and cultivate life-giving habits that's aligned with God's purposes for our life. 
and I hope you're ready with me because we're going to get down and practical as well, especially next week and the week after that. But for this week, our first week, I'm going to be unpacking something a little bit bigger. I want us to look at the number one reason why I believe people are failing to stay committed to the good habits that they want to cultivate and start up in their life. And the number one reason I believe so many of us are struggling with this is because of a distorted identity. Yes, you heard me right. It has to do with our identity that's not aligned. It goes something like this. Well, this year, I am going to start gymming. I'm going to get myself ready to gym because I want to look like all those other guys. You know. I'm going to start living healthy. So day one, I'm going to the gym. Woo, doing well. I'm pumping irons. It's going brilliant. I've been running on the treadmill. Things are going great. Day two, I'm dying. It's stiff. I can't make it. I'm crying. Maybe you can identify with that. I've been there myself. Maybe you're there right now. Week one, well, I'm doing quite okay. I just cheated like one day. Come on, I was really rough, but I cheated like once. And then uh, before you know it, you're in week two, week three maybe, and you've somehow skipped like half of the week and you're confronted with the fact that you are failing terribly, horribly. You're failing at your own commitment that you're making. And then suddenly there's this little voice that comes in and tells you that, Lorenzi, you're failing, so you are a failure. You're just not like, you're, not, you're never going to be one of those guys who has a beautiful six-pack, you know. You're just always going to be the guy who, who, who hides his six-pack. You know, that's just you. you that's who you're going to be, man. That's your story. And that's exactly where so many of us sabotage ourselves. It's a distorted identity. It's when we wear the failing moments in our life and it becomes our identity and now we're a failure. You see, if you believe in this, uh, you'll probably be responding like a Moses and a Gideon and a Paul. Moses, he said, when God comes to him, I want to use you. Well, God, I have a speaking problem. I, I, I'm a failure. I can't, you can't use me. You know how many people I've spoken to that believe they're failures and they can't do anything for God? Because they've bought into this lie. Gideon, I'm the weakest. I'm the smallest of my tribe, from the smallest tribe, from the smallest family. I'm insignificant, God. You don't want to use me. Paul, I'm least. I'm unworthy. Maybe you're not one of these guys. Maybe you can identify with this. Maybe you say, well, I just have that addictive personality. I'm one of those guys. I'm just never, ever going to be able to say no. Maybe you've given into, I'm bad at handling money. I'm just a shopaholic. I can't help it. Lorraine, that's me. I'm just not one of those organized, not one of those disciplined, not one of those good with other people, people. And I've bought into this lie that what I do determines who I am. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to dive a little bit more into this topic of identity. Because it's so crucial. So firstly, I want us to look at the importance of identity. Why is it so important? Then secondly, I want us to look at the crisis, the problem that we have with identity. And then thirdly, I want us to look at what Paul was pointing us to when we read in Romans 7, that Jesus Christ is the answer for our crisis. So firstly, 
let's dive into the importance of identity. Now, to help me explain a little bit more about this, I've brought something with me. It's, uh, maybe you can identify the object in my hand. It is called a cup. Hopefully by now you've got it. So a cup is something truly remarkable. You see, the thing is, the moment you know what this thing is, you know where it belongs, and secondly, you know what it was created to do. So you, if you know the identity, you know the place, and you know the purpose. This is a cup. What is the place of this cup? Well, this cup belongs in the cupboard with all the other cups, because it's a cup. And secondly, this cup has a purpose. And uh, it is an, a truly remarkable purpose, especially during wintertime in Bloemfontein, when you want to drink some nice coffee or some nice hot chocolate or whatever it may be, because the designer, the creator of this cup, decided to put a nice, beautiful ear on this cup that you can hold like this and your hands don't burn, and you can enjoy some nice hot beverages within this cup. Identity tells us two things. It tells us where we belong and what is the purpose of our life. But who gives us identity? And I've kindly sort of alluded to it, the creator of the object. The creator, the designer of this cup is the one that determined its identity. And what I quickly want to do with you and me, I want us to go and look at what our creator said about us, the one that determined our identity. It's in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, and God is speaking, and he's saying the following. He's saying, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. This is the moment God decided to create you, to design you. And when he decided to create you, he made you in his image. You know, I have a little boy at home and, and a girl, and they both carry some of my image resemblance that who I am is captured within how they look, as well as my wife. They're my children. And almost kind of in the same way, God created you in his image. And therefore, if we know who we are, we're his image, and we're his likeness, it gives us the answer to two questions. And then, in fact, there's a third truth as well in this verse that I quickly want to point out to you guys. So identity is important because it tells us where we belong. If we're the image of God, we belong with God. You and I were created to live from a relationship with God. We were to walk with God in the garden, to live from a life-giving relationship, just like this cup belongs with the other cups because it's a cup. So the image of God belongs with God because it carries the image of God. You know, when you find my kids running around somewhere and you kind of have an idea of who I am, you'll immediately know this is a little Mareki. He needs to go with the Murray family. <laughs> and you'll send him quickly to his mom and dad, you know. That's kind of the picture. You can see resemblance. Um, we belong with God. But secondly, because of who we are, we get to find and discover our purpose in life. 
Because we look like God, we are to do what God does. We are to live like God. And we get that here in verse 26 as well. God gives us a purpose in life. And he says, you, because you look like me, you will reign over. You and I were created to reign over, just like God reigns over his creation. We are given an area, a specific space in God's creation to reign over, to rule over, just like God rules over an area in his creation. That's who we are, and therefore that's where we belong and what we were created to do. Now, the third thing that I want to point out in this verse, and that is something of a truth for you and me to hold on to, is that when God created us, he put our identity before our activity. We see it clearly here. God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And then, because they look like us, because they carry our resemblance, now they go and do this in this world. Here's the truth. Who you are determines what you can do. Maybe just a quick way of explaining this to you. This cup is made to carry hot beverages. Should someone come and throw in some nice juice into this cup, does it immediately change it to becoming a glass? No, not at all. It stays a cup. What it was created to be determines what it will be able to do. So that is the importance of identity. If you know who you are, you know where you belong, and you know the meaning of your life, but there is a problem. There is a problem with identity, a crisis that we face. And we read about this crisis for the very first time in Genesis chapter 3, if we just follow the story. And that's a story about a talking snake coming to Adam and Eve and tempting them into believing a big lie about who they are, about their identity. And it goes as follows. It surrounds a, a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they, they are tempted into eating from this tree, to take from the fruit of this tree and eat from it. And the serpent is speaking to, to Eve and he's saying the following to Eve after he asked her, did God really say you should not eat from this? And she said, well, God, yes, he did say we shouldn't even touch it and we'll die if we eat from it. And then he replies like this. He says, Eve, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, there are three things that the enemy tells Eve in this story. Firstly, he tells her that they won't die. Secondly, he tells her that they will be like God. And thirdly, he tells her that they will know good from evil. Where is the lie? that the enemy sold. Did they die? No, they didn't die after they ate from that specific tree. Well, did they know good from evil? Yes, they did. So where's the lie? The lie is in the fact that if they take from this tree and they apply it into their own lives, they will be like God. Here's the lie. If you do this, you will be this. And God didn't set it up like that. 
He said, you are this. Therefore, you can go and do this. Ever since then, our identity has been determined by our activity. Maybe this is a, maybe this is a question that you're familiar with. I've asked this so many times to people, and I've been asked this so many times. Who are you going to be one day when you grow up? I mean, we're like this small when people ask us that question. Maybe you've heard it yourself as well. I wonder what was your answer. Many times I'm hearing this. This is some of the famous answers. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a teacher, a mechanic, a nurse. I'm going to be a policeman one day when I grow up. Now, the problem with all of these answers are they are wrong. They're the wrong answer to the question. Because the question was not, what are you going to do one day when you grow up? The question is, who are you going to be? Do you see how easily and how quickly we fall for this lie that what we do determines who we are? And the problem with this is if we're going to believe that, we're going to be almost kind of like this cup. Let's say this cup had a mind of its own and it decided that I no longer want to be a cup. I want to be a hammer. This is going to be my destiny. I want to become a hammer. So what I, because I'm a hammer, now I want to go and stay with all the tools in the garage. What's going to happen to the cup if it's doing that? It's going to get chipped. It's going to get broken. It's going to get bruised. It's going to be battered if it survives to stay in the garage. And then one day when it courages and conjures up all its courage in one moment and it's trying to be a hammer and it wants to nail in something, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to this cup the moment it tries to become a hammer? Well, I think it's quite clear, but let's just quickly check it out. That's what's going to happen. This cup is going to break. And that's the other truth about our identity. If we live outside of our designed purpose, if we refuse to acknowledge God's view and, and accept the identity that is given us, we will get broken. Destruction is inevitable. And so many of us try to prove ourselves worthy by what we do, try to solidify our lives by our actions. We believe this lie that you are what you do. And then we get broken because we're not. So how does Jesus come to help us? How does he change our reality for us around? In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes about this. He says the following. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are now no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. What's Paul busy saying? What's he busy touching on? Well, he's saying that the old me, the one that believed this lie, has died now. And sin, the temptation to try and prove myself worthy, to, to use what I do 
like Adam and Eve did. And ever since that day, when I do good, I am good. When I do bad, I am bad. Do you see the picture here? However, God created you and he said, you are very good. He says that part of your life, it's dead now. If you put your faith in Jesus, that's dead. You are now a new creation in Jesus. You're now a slave to righteous living. Jesus speaks about this to, to Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, in order to enter into my kingdom, you have to be born again. You know what that means? That is so, so significant. Firstly, because to be born, you did nothing to be born. No one of us, not one of us, orchestrated our own births. It's a miracle. It's something that happened to us. But also, something else happened when we were born. Something very interesting. The moment I was born in the Murray family, I became a child of Mani and Gerda Murray. I received an identity at the moment of my birth. You see, in Christianity, your identity is not achieved. It is something that you receive. It's your birthright. If you are born again from God, if, like I've been born from my parents, I become a child of the Murray family. But if I'm born from the Spirit of God, I become a child of God. No longer do I need to carry this burden that says what I do determines who I am. No, what Jesus has done makes me a new creation. I am now set free to live and grow up into who I was born to be. Kind of just like my kids. So this here, I want to encourage you to take a different approach. Most people, whenever we start off with habits, we focus on do goals. What am I going to do this year? I'm going to read more. I'm going to get more sleep. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to, it's all of these do things. And because I'm going to do that, I'm going to be successful. That's kind of what we want to use habits for. We want to use it to set up in a way to prove ourselves worthy. However, what I'd like to encourage you to do over this next season is to don't, not to write down do goals, but to go and sit down and think about some who goals. Asking yourself the question, who do you want to grow up to be? Because that's directly connected to who you were born to be. Who are you going to be? When I think about myself, quickly want to share this with you and then I want to pray for you. As we embark on this journey to align our lives one little step at a time to who God created us to be. So here is who I want to be. When people look at me, I want people to see a guy who knows that he's absolutely loved by Jesus and that the love of Jesus defines me. And my response to that love would be to give my life in loving him back with every single breath that I have by deeply and passionately loving my wife that he's given me, committing myself to intentionally grow my kids into people that would become 
powerful men and women of God and to the way they were created to be. And I want to be known as someone who is faithfully, through loving Jesus back, giving myself to the call that he has for me. That's who I am. I am a child of God. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into this new year, with all of its new opportunities, new adventures, second chances, I pray, God, that we won't abuse or misplace these opportunities as, as stepping stones for trying to prove who we are, but instead acknowledge that we are your children, that we are created by you, and live our lives accordingly. If today you're listening to this and maybe you've not yet taken that step to give your life to Jesus, to believe in Him, I want to give you that opportunity. It's so easy to do that. You can just pray with me. Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the Lord of my life. I cannot save myself and I'm trusting in your blood to make me new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.